0: If you've been following the news in the UAE, uh, you'll have noticed that there's been a lot of news about the, uh, the Abrahamic family house that has recently opened in Abu Dhabi. Uh, it is a mosque, it's a synagogue, it's a Christian place of worship, and as I've followed it, it has been remarkable to me from the standpoint of religious tolerance that we're in a nation on the peninsula in which a number of faiths are not excluded in this this region. How grateful we are for doors opened for the gospel. At the same time, the house itself raises a question, and it's it's an old question. Who is Abraham's family? Now, there's this old children's song that uh, a number of you are blessed not to have sung many, many times. (laughs) You know it. When you were growing up, it went like this. I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) You wish I would. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. So are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Now, aside from the very silly things we did with our hands and our feet, while we were singing that song. When you think about the song, it does raise a really serious question. Why should I consider myself one of Abraham's sons? I didn't descend from Abraham. As far as I know, neither did any of you. So why are we just praising the Lord? And why in the world does this even matter? This has not just been a debate or an issue of news of concern and interest in the UAE. It's it's an old one. This goes back to Jesus' day. It's at the very center of the dispute in the text we're going to look at this morning in John 8. As we continue in the Gospel of John, John 8. This is in the New Testament. If you're new to the Bible, the Chapter numbers are the big numbers, and the verses that we work through are the small numbers. And we'll be in verse 31 through 59. So we come to chapter 8. It's coming to its end. It's really a discussion about Abrahamic religion. Who can say or sing Father Abraham? What does it mean to be one of Abraham's sons? Well, according to Jesus, it means to be a persevering follower of Jesus. That's what I want you to see this morning. Very simply, Jesus' true disciples listen to him and follow him. Jesus' true disciples listen to him. They listen to Jesus and follow Jesus. And they keep listening to Jesus and following Jesus. Jesus. So there's three questions we're going to ask from this text this morning. Number one, who do you serve? Number two, who's your father? And number three, who do you say Jesus is? So number one, who, or English teachers, whom do you serve? Who do you serve? Verses 31 to 38. Look down at chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father. You do what you have heard from your father. So it's up to this point in chapter 8 that we've seen again and again Jesus has been misunderstood. And yet we saw very surprisingly back in verse 30, some believed in him. And you might think Jesus would say, great. Some people believed that he would just take that as a, as a win. But Jesus was never interested in mere professors of faith. Jesus sought possessors of faith. And here he's making clear there's a difference. True belief, true discipleship is marked by Abiding in and remaining in Jesus' word. Persevering in receiving his word. And he's saying that as you abide, it leads to more understanding. More obedience. True Christianity has has never been just words said. It's never just been simply saying you believed Jesus at some point in your life. But that has no effect whatsoever on your life. It's in this context that Jesus says, uh, a verse that's been taken way out of context many times, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's the word that reveals the truth to us about Jesus and about ourselves. So the freedom here he's talking about it is not political. It's certainly not unlocking some big conspiracy in the world. It's spiritual, freedom from sin, it's power, and it's condemnation. But notice here, this crowd that believed doesn't understand. More than that, they don't like the word Jesus is saying to them. They are Abraham's offspring, not slaves. How could Jesus say, you will become free. Now, on the, the most surface level, this is ironic, isn't it? <laughs> uh, Abraham's offspring at this point in history had literally been enslaved. to so the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, I mean, even at this moment, they're under the power of Rome. But all they can think is literalistically. They don't see spiritually. They don't understand the freedom of which Jesus speaks. Everyone who practices sin, is a slave to sin. So the very minute the word of Jesus contradicted them, their belief wavered. Who's oh, that you? Notice with Jesus, easy believism is a, is a certain kind of belief. But it's not true belief in Jesus He's saying true belief will be shown by what you do with his word. So the question is, can Jesus contradict you? Can he confront you? He's saying what you practice is what you serve. Who you serve. What you serve. Now, on one level, very surface, you know this. You know, when you really know the power of sugar or carbs is when you try to go on the no sugar or the no carb diet. More seriously, it's only when the drug addict tries to walk away that it makes very plain the power of the drug over the addict. I read this week in the National Muslims who stop taking drugs are guaranteed a place in heaven, Egypt's official Islamic advisory board said. Now beyond asking, is that true? The offer of something so great with a reward so great shows just how powerful, how costly it must be to walk away from the thing it's calling you to walk away from. But here's Jesus He's saying, for the slave, your willpower is not enough. He's assessing the human nature, who we are, at a level far deeper than we would normally see. Slaves must be set free, declared free from bondage. It's only with Jesus, only with Jesus, that when we become his servants, his slave, that we're free. So do you see just how massive this idea, this reality of conversion is with Jesus? It's not small. not a decision of the will. It's the work of God. It's the power of God. The Son sets you free. Who do you serve? Jesus wants us as people who bear the image of God, who have infinite worth, To see ourselves rightly, who because of sin, understand our our loves are off. We were made to love God, to serve God, to worship God. We've traded that away to serve love, created things. For you, the Christian, you've been set free. And it's as you bind yourself and abide in his word, you understand and grow, grow and press in more to your freedom. And it's a freedom that the world cannot take away because it's a freedom the world doesn't give. Christians are those who find freedom in what we've left behind and in whom we follow. Now listen, if you're not a Christian, if you're trying to figure Christianity out, you, you should know that those things we've left behind had massive power in our lives. Some of us lived for the approval of others. It's what our whole life was about. Our pleasure, our money, or just ourselves. And we can say truly, Jesus has set us free. So dear brothers and sisters, stand firm in your freedom. It's come to you at great cost. And then Jesus distinguishes here between slaves and sons. The slave doesn't remain in the house. The son does. Freedom comes by way of the son. Has the son set you free? How do you figure that out? Well, start pushing down in your own heart and ask yourself why you're doing what you're doing. Now, it's easy when we find the bad things that we know we've done to... To figure out why it is we did what we did. They're really bad. What about the good things, the things you're proud of, the things that you're staking your goodness on? Beware if those things are leading you to start to think, "I did enough. I'm good enough. I'm not that bad." Because Jesus is saying that even that is proof that you're enslaved. Because the only way to escape slavery isn't just to engineer an escape. That's just a slave on the run. It's by verse thirty-six, the sun setting you free. And so the sun gives you all the rights and the privileges of sonship. Jesus says sin is by nature what we serve, even when what we do is good. Because what it is, is just one long pursuit in self-glory. To say, I'm enough. I've done enough. You do what you love. What you most desire. That's why the way out of any sin habit or pattern in your life is not just to stop it. You need the power of new love, new affection, stronger desires. And for you as a Christian, the Son has set you free from and to greater love. Sin's presence remains, its power doesn't rule over you as it once did. Uh, One pastor said to me so wisely when I was uh, younger, he said, You will never be free to struggle until you quit struggling to be free. Brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, you've been set free. You're not struggling to be free, and so freed to struggle. I want you to understand this. If His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nayyan right now walked into the streets of the UAE and he found a laborer who had overstayed his visa for months and months been fired from his job. And he summoned that man to the palace. And on the spot, he didn't just say to the man, don't worry about your overstayed visa. He doesn't just say, I'm going to give you a golden visa. He says to him, you are in the royal family. Shocking. What then is that overstayed laborer? A guest? No. A son. But does he look like a son? No. Does he talk like a son? No. Does he behave like a son? No. No. But does he belong as a son? Yes. (laughs) Because the king's word has made it so. The looking, the talking, the behaving, that's going to come slowly, but surely, it's going to take time. But by word of the King, He's in. No more what He once so obviously was. And if you've looked to the Son and you trusted the Son, the Son has brought you in. You're a son. Free indeed. Because in God's world, true freedom is freedom to serve God. The rights and privileges of the family. Now what you are has not been made clear to the whole universe, but it doesn't change what and who you really are. So don't keep looking back to your slavery and mistake that for your freedom. The Son has set you free. But not this crowd. They, who are verse 37 physical offspring of Abraham, are showing themselves to be mere professors not possessors of faith. They want to kill the Son. The very minute the Son's word contradicts them, we know what kind of believing they really had. Did you refuse to let the word of Jesus contradict you? Or where is it you say in your own life, this far Jesus, no further? Careful. They want to kill Jesus because His word finds no place in them and so the answer to the question who do you serve is by answering in whose word you abide oh we live in a world that has a word many words and freedom in the sun is learning the life and the language of the sun in the sun and even that sin that pulls at you that even whispers to you you aren't worthy It cannot speak a louder word to you than the Son. Because notice here with Jesus, it all comes down to whose word you hear. I speak of what I've seen with my Father. You do what you've heard from your Father. So he's speaking of what he's seen in the heavenly realities, in the presence of the Father. They do what they've heard from their Father. Someone else's word Rules them. Who do you serve? Because in this world, the rock and roll singer Bob Dylan got this exactly right. You're gonna have to serve somebody, and maybe the devil, and maybe the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. And Jesus is exposing this crowd to themselves, and as he does that, he then asks them. Another question. Number two, who's your father? Who's your father? Look down to verses 39 to 47. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. is that you are not of God. Now, for those of us that are dads, there was that moment in our lives when we've said either out loud or to ourselves, I realize I just sounded like my father when I said that. We know this, don't we? Across cultures and nations, fathers and sons imitate each other. Jesus has been saying things about his relationship to his father. The father sent him. The father bears witness about him. Jesus comes in his name. He speaks with his authority. He judges with the father's authority. And most provocatively, unless you believe in the son, you do not know the father. For beyond... Any father and son relationship in this world, Jesus is like the father. Like father, like son. Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. But this crowd clings to Abraham as their father. They stake everything on it. And so now Jesus is turning to them to wrestle with them, just to show them how unlike Father Abraham they are. Verse 39, Abraham's true children do the works Abraham did. What did Abraham do? He believed God, and God credited that to him in righteousness. In faith, he obeyed God. So if you are Abraham's children, you would believe my words, for I speak the Father's words. But you seek to kill me because I tell you the truth that I heard from God. They only see physically. Jesus is saying physical descent, not enough. They don't see spiritually. They may have come from Abraham, but they are apples that have fallen far from the family tree. You are nothing like your father. Because, verse 41, you're not doing the works. Your father did. Now, what's amazing about Scripture is it doesn't hide things. You can read Abraham's life and the flaws and the faults and the failures are all there for the world to see. But Abraham believed God. He, by the word of God, left his city and went to a city that God promised him. He, by faith, Lived by the word, a promise God gave him. And it cost him. Abraham was left family and friends. He set his sight on a city whose architect and builder is God. But not his offspring here. Jesus says they're doing the works of a, another father. And how do they reply? We were not born of sexual immorality. I think what's going on here is, Jesus, we know who your father is. We know about Mary and Joseph. We're not the ones born of sexual immorality. Someone here is illegitimate. It's not us. They misunderstand him. But why? Is it because Jesus doesn't know how to communicate. Does Jesus teach at a level that's too high for simple people like us? No. Why? Because you cannot bear to hear my word. Not in the sense of hearing him speak, but in the sense of receiving it, obeying it by faith. Oh, it's such a massive sentence that our ability to understand or not understand Jesus comes down to the posture of our heart. If we take him at his word, we are those who labor for a humble heart. That our heart would be good soil for His Word to land in. A great question to ask yourself is what you're doing with the Word of Christ? Do you store it up? Do you steward it? Do you ignore it? Do you know it? Do you obey it? I mean, in one sense, it's very simple to understand and know Jesus, hear and obey His Word. But in another sense, it's impossible because the world refused to hear Him and obey Him. We stand or we fall in what we do with His Word. John Stott said this so well. We must allow the Word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. So if Abraham's not their father, who is? Shocking. Verse 44. You are of your father, The devil, your will is to do your father's desires, a murderer in whom there is no truth. Now, you can see why people wanted Jesus dead. Here he's saying it's not just that Satan, the devil here, lies because it's a deviation. It's who he is. I noticed three things here that Jesus is saying about Satan. First, one, he clearly understands that the devil, Satan, exists. Now, we live in a part of the world where his existence is taken for granted by the majority of people. And then some of us here come from worlds where people laugh at the thought of Satan's existence. Surely they would say the modern world has moved beyond such pre-modern thinking. Jesus hadn't. Jesus' word still stands in his world. Second, notice that Satan acts out of his own character and desires. He's, he's saying he lies and he deceives because that's who he is. He defames God's word. It's, it's what Emmanuel read to us at the very beginning of Scripture. What are his works? Notice that he doesn't just lie about God's word. That's what he does, right? You will not die. He's happy for you just to doubt its goodness. God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. I mean, they were already like God. Made in his image. And so what Satan does is he undermines the goodness of his word. He's going to withhold from you. He's not good. It's not just believing his word is true. It's believing his word is good. Do you believe that in in your circumstance or situation? Maybe with that temptation that you know so deeply, you wouldn't think that particular sin is... or you, you think it's good or you wouldn't run after it. But is it good? Students, it's so tempting to think that Jesus will kill your joy and He'll steal your freedom. But when you read or see Jesus, does He ever seem to be withholding anything good from anybody? Satan only lies, he defames, he destroys, he does not build. Jesus gives life. Whatever that sin is that tempts you, it's going to take your life. And Jesus gives life. He gives joy. Sin takes it. Who's telling you the truth? And who is lying? Trust Jesus when the temptations come. Take him at his word. Third, Satan has power and influence. Your will is to do your father's desires. They're laughing, mocking at Jesus because they say that he says they're not free. He's saying your will is bound up with your father. So for you to come into light means you must understand you were in darkness. Of all the different religions in the world, Jesus is saying there's only two realms you can live in spiritually. Jesus' realm, or Satan's. So should you fear Satan? No, this is God's world. Satan is not equal. Scripture reveals him to under the authority of God. He never thwarts the purposes of God. Jesus not only satisfied God's wrath at the cross, He vanquished the powers. Jesus is not only good, He's enough. But not for this crowd. They're not like Father Abraham. They're not Father Abraham's sons because, verse 45, I tell the truth, you do not believe me. He doesn't say, I tell you the truth and you do not believe me, but because I tell the truth. It's the cause, the ground. If you've been reading and coming along here with us through John's gospel, you've seen him teach a lot about belief. Now Jesus is teaching about unbelief. Why don't people believe Because Jesus is the truth teller in a world filled with people bound to the liar. There's no sin with which they can convict Jesus. Jesus tells the truth, they don't believe him. Verse 47 because ultimately they are not of God, they cannot hear. These are hard words from Jesus. Who's your father? He's confronting the world. But he's telling the truth. Who else can reveal to the world eternal realities? Brothers and sisters, as you're united to the Son by faith, you are becoming more like your Father. It's knowing who you are, welcomed as sons by your generous Father. That's what motivates you to abide in the Word of the Father. I mean, Prince Harry jokes aside, why would any prince ever leave royalty? Why would you ever look longingly at what is really a life of being a pauper? Who we are has not appeared, but it doesn't change who we are. The Son has set you free from your old father's domain and brought you into the kingdom of your new father. So in this next week, abide in His word because you want to know Him. Live not as slaves, but as sons whom the Son has set free. And when you ask yourself this question, who's your father? You cannot possibly, you who have trusted in Christ, think thoughts that are good enough. Think of love that is great enough, of kindness that is deep enough, or mercy that exceeds more than you can fathom than when you think of your father in heaven, but not this crowd. They will not accept His Word. And so really, one question remains, and that is our third question. Who do you say Jesus is? We'll read from verse 48 to the end of the chapter. The Jews answered Him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So he brings everything back together and he goes further. He's been alluding to this, and now he makes it explicit. And it's ironic that it's right after he tells them that their father is the devil that they accuse him of having a demon. Jesus honors his father. He doesn't seek his glory. Father is seeking his glory. It's the father's approval on which Jesus is hanging everything. He delights in the father. The father delights in the son. But they dishonor the son. Jesus says hard things, doesn't he? And yet, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save. You would think that right after he says his father is the judge, verse 51, that you would read, and I will judge you. What does he do? He holds out salvation. Anyone keeps my word. He will never see death. Of course, he's not talking about physical death. He's speaking of spiritual death. He brings life that physical death cannot take away. Now, I would wonder, for you who've been Christians for some time, if you've just become kind of accustomed to eternal life. I mean, it's absurd, isn't it? On its face. And yet, if you've trusted Christ, you will not taste death. Not physical death. That's not what's of massive importance here spiritual death. We live in a world that does everything it can do to avoid death. Not just to avoid it, but not think about it. Put it out of sight, out of mind. Don't talk about it in polite company. Jesus is not minimizing physical death. He's, he's come into the world to face death, to go into death, to come out of death, to give life to human beings who are bound by death And brothers and sisters, that life is in you. by Faith in Christ, your union with Christ, eternal life means you have the life of God. Could it be that you are so preoccupied by what it is you don't have in this world because you're so underwhelmed by what you do have? Jesus has given you life and privileges Don't live below them. But here, this crowd only thinks in very surface ways. So what are they throwing back at Jesus? Abraham died. The prophets died. And here you are saying that if anyone keeps my words, you will never taste death. What is this a battle over? Jesus' words. The very word he said from the beginning determines who his true disciple is. So he's saying you tell me your view of my word I tell you what your ultimate posture is about God This is the long battle in the Christian life Do whatever you can to receive God's word and to abide and be saturated in the good word of God It's what Jesus is saying is causing this conflict They're hard to his word because they're hard toward him all they can ask is, are you greater than our father Abraham or the prophets who died? Who, who, who do you make yourself out to be? That's ultimately the question. Who do you say Jesus is? They thought he would say, I'm not greater than Abraham. But it's exactly what he's saying. They claim the father as God, their God. But if they did, they would be committed to what the Father is committed to, they would long to glorify the Son. And how is it that the Father, verse 54, glorifies the Son? In John's Gospel, it's by way of the cross. It's so ironic that they're saying to Jesus, you seek your own glory when He is explicitly, deliberately walking to the most shameful place on the planet. The cross. That's the paradox. He will be glorified by way of the cross. So, the word of Jesus is, on the one hand, the hardest to receive in the world, and on the other hand, it is the most freeing to receive in the world. It's at the cross where we see who God is, it's made plain. We see who we are, it's made plain. We see who Jesus is the Son of God, come in flesh to live, to die, to be raised for sinners to set us free. Going into death. It's not that Christians hold out or hold to the cross to be difficult. It's because it's an inescapable fact of history that we stake our eternity on because we know our freedom was won there. As the Son set you free. Come out of darkness. Come out of slavery Sin, come freely in faith to the one who died on the cross. Come to the Father whose own Son has come into the world to bring many sons to glory. Yes, Jesus is very clear. Following him is costly. But it's also urgent. And it's worth it. Ask yourself who you're listening to. Who's the truth teller? Who is the liar? And come in faith to the Son. Jesus reveals His glory to the world at the cross. At the cross, He returns in glory ultimately to the Father. He speaks the Father's Word all the way to the cross. And so do this people who cling to Abraham as their father. Jesus says, you've completely failed to understand Abraham. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it. He was glad. Here's what is implicit in Genesis, explicit through Jesus. All hopes and the joy of Abraham's day was in seeing Jesus's day. As Abraham grows in faith, as his body weakens He more and more knew joy that a greater one, his true offspring, a greater day was coming. He sees it by faith and he's glad. Now, we're not Father Abraham, but we're like him in this way. We stand in the present and we look forward to a distant day and are glad. That's what it is to live and to die by faith. To be sure a better day is coming. And so just as Jesus testified to Father Abraham, he saw my day and was glad. He will say of every true son, he saw my returning day and was glad. When you live by his word, it will not make sense to this world. It didn't to this crowd. They only understand him speaking of surfacey things. You're not 50. You've seen Abraham. Jesus makes it very explicit. Truly, truly before Abraham was, I am. He's taking the covenant name of Yahweh, Exodus 3, and with I am, he's saying, I am God. Only belief or unbelief. It's been remarkable throughout this chapter. There's been so much misunderstanding, hasn't there been? But not now. They clearly understand him. It should have compelled their joy and their faith, and it compels them to pick up stones and to kill him. Why? His word proved to be too much, too costly. Rather than abiding in it, they reject him. They don't follow him. And so they prove they're not his disciples. Who do you say Jesus is? That's the question. It's the question on which Abrahamic religion hangs. Because to have Father Abraham is to believe in his son, Jesus, and to abide in his word. And as we abide in his word, in this world that is so filled with lies, we know more and more what it means to be free. Free like Abraham. To live in this world trusting in the promise of God, to look forward to another world that is coming to live by faith and to be glad.